Welcome to the PCC Podcast, your place for CNS soundbites. Hi, I'm John Shelton, publisher of the Primary Care Companion for CNS Disorders. In the next 30 minutes, I'll bring you up to date on the important peer-reviewed research and reviews from our latest issue. Let's get started. The struggle to identify patients most at risk for metabolic complications of antipsychotic use has been ongoing since the introduction of second-generation antipsychotics into common practice. This study evaluated correlations between plasma insulin levels and common metabolic complications of psychiatric medications. The authors sought to determine if different values of baseline plasma insulin levels correlated with clinically meaningful changes in metabolic parameters during psychiatric inpatient stays. They found that baseline plasma insulin level was correlated consistently with metabolic parameters directly affected by glucose levels, including hemoglobin A1c and fasting plasma glucose. There were too few changes in metabolic parameters during the evaluation period to assess the relationship between differences in plasma insulin level at baseline and changes in significant metabolic parameters. The authors suggest that the rate of metabolic complications over the course of three- or six-month evaluation periods suggests that plasma insulin levels are not viable measures for metabolic monitoring in this patient population. Pharmacogenetic testing holds promise as a personalized medicine tool by permitting individualization of pharmacotherapy in accordance with genes influencing therapeutic response, side effects, and adverse events. The authors of this study evaluated the effect of pharmacogenetics-guided treatment on outcomes compared to usual standard of care among patients diagnosed with neuropsychiatric disorders. This was a prospective, randomized study of 237 patients at an outpatient community-based psychiatric practice. Baseline patient assessments and a buckle swab were collected for pharmacogenetic testing at study initiation. For the experimental group, pharmacogenetic results were provided to the clinicians as guides to treatment. Control subjects were tested according to the usual standard of care with no clinician reference to their pharmacogenetic results. Neuropsychiatric questionnaire and symbol digit coding test scores and adverse drug events, hospitalizations, and medication information were collected at 30, 60, and 90 days. More than half of patients in the control group reported at least one adverse event compared to 28% of patients with pharmacogenetics-guided medication management. Test scores improved for both groups, but no statistical difference in efficacy was observed within the 90-day observation period. Pharmacogenetic testing may facilitate psychiatric drug therapy with greater tolerability and similar efficacy compared to standard care. Inclusion of pharmacogenetic testing in medication management of patients can enhance prescribing decisions. Adverse drug event reduction in patients with psychiatric disorders may be achieved by implementation of pharmacogenetic testing during drug selection and dosing. Reduction of adverse events as a result of pharmacogenetic testing implementation can lead to significant savings in healthcare costs. This research was funded by Althea DX. Anxiety and insomnia are considered modifiable risk factors for suicide. 
Clinicians may therefore expect benzodiazepines to lower patients' risk of suicide by rapidly alleviating these symptoms. On the other hand, non-medical use of sedatives would be considered a suicide risk factor. Is it possible that benzodiazepines, even when taken as prescribed, might increase suicide risk? To test these competing hypotheses, the author reviewed the literature and identified 17 studies addressing the relationship between prescribed benzodiazepines and suicidal behavior. The majority of studies found that benzodiazepines correlated with higher suicide risk. Although the remaining studies are observational, most found a similar correlation between benzodiazepines and suicide in various populations, even after adjusting for various possible confounders. How might these medications increase suicide risk? One possible explanation is that benzodiazepines appear to increase impulsivity and aggression, both of which may mediate suicide risk. For the person contemplating suicide, an ability to regulate mood and behavior may make the difference between bearing suicidal impulses and acting on them. Rebound or withdrawal symptoms are also worth considering, as is the potential lethality of benzodiazepines in overdose. Is the use of long-acting injectable antipsychotics increasing in patients with schizophrenia? This study looked at the patterns and predictors of long-acting injectable antipsychotic use in the treatment of schizophrenia and the effect of introducing a new long-acting injectable in the Spanish province of Tarragona. The study included electronic medical record data from a large population-based database of patients diagnosed with schizophrenia. During the study period, 42% of patients were treated with a long-acting injectable antipsychotic. The most frequently prescribed initial long-acting injectable was risperidone. 23% of patients initially treated with an oral antipsychotic were switched to a long-acting injectable antipsychotic, a change that was associated with younger age, undifferentiated schizophrenia, substance abuse, and neuropsychiatric co-medication. The change from an oral antipsychotic to paliperidone long-acting injectable was predicted by younger age. Overall, 27.5% of patients were switched to another long-acting injectable antipsychotic and paliperidone was the preferred option in 64.7% of cases. 85% of patients taking risperidone long-acting injectable transitioned to paliperidone, particularly those with disease duration greater than five years. This study found a progressive increase in the use of long-acting injectable formulations. These agents were preferentially prescribed to patients with chronic disease and a history of substance abuse, as well as patients receiving neuropsychiatric co-medication. One-month long-acting injectable formulations were commonly used in young patients. This work was supported by grants from Hospital Universitari Institut Peramata, Lundbeck, España, and Otsuka. Patients with skin diseases often have psychological problems and complications that require assessment and treatment. This study used an online questionnaire to explore the attitude and experience of dermatologists practicing in the Middle East toward the assessment of the psychiatric needs of their patients. 
The result showed that 41% of respondents had frequent experience with psychodermatology, but only 28% were very comfortable in diagnosing and treating psychodermatology patients. 31% of respondents had no training and had attended no educational events on cutaneous disorders with psychological components. The majority of respondents were unaware of any patient or family resources on psychodermatology. Psychocutaneous involvements are common among dermatologic patients. Lack of familiarity with psychodermatology is common among physicians caring for patients with skin problems. Optimal clinical treatment outcomes of skin disorders require psychological interventions directed toward improving self-esteem and quality of life. The survey findings support the need for improvement in training and education in psychodermatology in the Middle East. Now we invite you to engage online in an interactive CME case study from the Banner Alzheimer's Institute. The Banner Alzheimer's Institute Case Conference is a weekly event in which physicians and staff discuss challenging cases of patients seen at the Institute's Steed Family Memory Clinic. In this issue, we highlight the case of Ms. A, a 50-year-old woman with a three-year history of insidious onset of short-term memory deficits and difficulties with concentration. She is more repetitive in statements and questions, has occasional difficulty with word finding, and has developed some mild extrapyramidal symptoms. Ms. A has a history of bipolar disorder and reports more difficulty controlling her depressive episodes. She had three episodes of increased suicidal ideations with two suicide attempts, both via overdose, over the past two to three years. Does Ms. A have a major neurocognitive disorder such as Alzheimer's disease, frontotemporal lobar dementia, or Lewy body disease? Could her medications be affecting her cognition and function? What would you expect to see on the neurological examination, and what treatment would you recommend? Visit us online at primarycarecompanion.com to answer questions about this patient case and find out how your colleagues who attended the weekly case conference responded in this instructive offering. Associations between depression, personality traits, and emotions are complex and reciprocal. The objective of this study was to explore these interactions in dynamical networks and in a linear way over time, depending on the severity of depression. Participants included 110 patients with depressive symptoms who were recruited between October 2015 and February 2016 during their inpatient stay in a general psychiatric hospital in Austria. Patients completed various screening instruments regarding symptoms, emotions, and personality during their inpatient stay and at a three-month follow-up by mail. Network and regression analyses were performed to explore interactions, both in a linear and a dynamical way, at baseline and three months later. Regression analyses showed that emotions and personality traits gain importance for the prediction of depressive symptoms with decreasing symptomatology at follow-up. Network analyses additionally showed that the interaction network of depression, emotions, and personality traits is significantly denser and more interconnected at follow-up than at baseline, meaning that with decreased symptoms, the interconnections get stronger. 
These findings have practical implications for interventions in an acute depressive state and with decreased symptoms. The network approach offers a new perspective on interactions and is a way to make the complexity of these interactions more tangible. Biological psychiatry is the study of biological function of the nervous system in persons with mental disorders and focuses on research to clarify the basis of psychiatric diagnoses. Personality disorders are long-term patterns of experience and behavior that are pervasive and inflexible and deviate markedly from cultural expectations. The aim of this brief report is to provide understanding into the biological basis of thinking and behavior in people with personality disorders, explain anatomic findings, and review therapeutic options. Cluster B is more commonly seen in clinical practice, thus the authors focus on this personality pattern with regard to neurobiology. Read this interesting report to find out more. Many people in healthcare believe in palliative care for their patients, but save the referral until they feel there is nothing more they can do for the patient. People who do palliative care suggest that the referral should come much earlier in the patient's course, such as at the time of diagnosis of a severe medical illness. In this issue's psychotherapy casebook, the authors present an updated version of a palliative care survey published previously in the PCC. This updated survey incorporates an emotional element of palliative care by allowing patients the opportunity to talk with a knowledgeable mental health professional. Please visit us online at primarycarecompanion.com to find numerous case reports on a variety of topics, such as postpartum obsessive-compulsive disorder, substance abuse screening for physical or sexual abuse victims, and anxiety and the Internet. You can also browse interactive activities from our CME Institute. We update our website weekly with new postings, so there is always something new to explore. Thanks for joining me for this summary of offerings from our current issue of the Primary Care Companion for CNS Disorders. This is John Shelton signing off. I hope you will join me for the next installment of the PCC Podcast, your place for CNS soundbites.